0: Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice, in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, Bill, welcome back. Great to talk to you as always.
1: It's great to be back as always. So another, another week, another chat.
0: Exactly. And lots of things to talk about, as always. Talk about COVID a little bit more this week and vaccines. And, you know, of course, we've been talking a lot about vaccines our last few chats. And there's been a lot of progress rolling out vaccines to adults across the U.S. And I just checked the CDC COVID vaccine tracker this morning. And according to that, 35.9% of the eligible U.S. population has now received at least one dose, mostly with the two-dose vaccine. So that's great though. That means more than a third of the population aged 18 or older have received at least one dose of the vaccine. So I thought that was really encouraging.
1: Yeah, it is very encouraging and it's also a real testament to the public health system in the United States because there's many other countries around the world that are not nearly at that level of vaccination. Yes, so.
0: I know and that's something for us all to think about, of course, you know, and worldwide some countries are just getting started. For us living in the United States, what I took away from the data looking at it this morning is that I was really happy to see that 78.5% of our population in the high risk group of age 65 to older have also received at least one dose. Yeah. We're in this together as a global society. So we all need to have that option to be vaccinated at some point if that's what we want to pursue.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing is that it's really, even in this country, the numbers overall look good, but there's a lot of variability behind those numbers in terms of areas of the country where people have not been vaccinated or are choosing not to be vaccinated. So I think it's a really important to continue the public dialogue, like we're having yes. today around the whole issue, so that people can really be informed and make informed choices.
0: Yeah, and I think our last two podcasts for people who are interested really kind of debunked some of the myths around COVID vaccination. So hopefully, those people will find useful when trying to decide whether or not they want to get that vaccine. And there is some sobering news too. Um, you know, there have been over 558,000 deaths due to COVID in the United States since the beginning of the pandemic. Looking at the data from last year, there were an estimated 375 thousand deaths in 2020 according to the provisional mortality data just released on March 31st so that makes COVID-19 the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer in 2020. Usually that's very different in other years usually infectious causes are at the bottom of the top 10. For example influenza and pneumonia in 2019 were the eighth most common cause of death so to be in the top three that's pretty significant.
1: Yeah. No, it is. We continue... To struggle with COVID. Not, not struggle, maybe not the right word, but to grapple with it is probably the better word. The emergence of these variant strains, we saw news in the last week or so that the B117 strain, which was first identified in the UK, which is more transmissible and maybe causes worse disease, is actually the predominant strain in the US now. So we've heard about some of the Brazilian variant, the one identified in Brazil, I should say, uh, the P2, I think it is. These variants are coming and they are in the United States and they are spreading and they do have the potential to be more easily spread. So it's just all the more reason for us to really, number one, uh, for all of us, whether we've received a vaccine or not, to continue to do the things we can do to stay safe because people who have been vaccinated still can spread the virus to others. So in terms of masking and social distancing and also, to really be thoughtful about that when you have the opportunity to be vaccinated, to really think it through, and understand the risks and benefits both to you and to the people around you. So, and with that, I think there's, you know, there's other efforts I know underway in terms of getting back to normal that we were going to talk about too. And what are some of the new technologies that are being brought forward to help with that?
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up, Bill, because I was going to mention this concept of a vaccine passport, whether you want to call it a passport or just an electronic system to document if you've received vaccination or you've recently been tested. It's an interesting new concept. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Number one, just like with a lot of things in COVID, it's new in the public eye for us to be thinking about. In some respects, it's not that new of a concept because we know that certain parts of the globe that for you to travel there, you actually have to have proof of vaccination before you can travel. Yeah, I think that's where even the term vaccine passport comes from. Now, usually that's a slip of paper that you have to be able to produce as you show your documentation for out-of-border control. But now what the the thought is, is that with COVID vaccination becoming more common is that people might be able to produce on a mobile device like a phone, some kind of proof that they have received a vaccine that would enable them to do certain things or enter enter certain venues, for instance. And so that's what this is about. Is And actually, again, this has been conversations that have been had since the very, very first days of the pandemic. Uh, yeah, I, I was aware of this, that there are a number of companies in the mobile industry and others that were thinking about ways for exposure tracking and tracing, which Minnesota has now through mobile devices, as well as next thing was proof that someone had either been immunized or was immune in some way or didn't have the virus. So that's really what this is about, is about can we find ways to for someone to, to show that they've been vaccinated if someone requires it?
0: Yeah, I remember traveling to certain countries and having to have my little piece of paper saying I had my yellow fever vaccine. Yeah. So it's not a new concept. And also I remember going off to college and having to show that I got my measles, mumps, rubella vaccine uh, as a requirement. So how it applies to COVID, it's interesting, you know, and of course this is not just in the United States, it's global, the European Union is looking at this, the World Health Organization. And I've seen some software manufacturers coming forth with some digital passes, QR codes these different software systems or apps that are expected to be freely available. Now, how would this potentially apply to everyone though? Cause you know, not everyone wants to be vaccinated. Not everyone is eligible to be vaccinated. What are some other options?
1: Yeah, so first of all, I think for people to remember and this conversation has come up a lot also through my work with the World Economic Forum and the industry advisory group looking at COVID tools uh, in low and middle income countries. The whole concept of border control is one that has been discussed Since very early days, because in a lot of countries, people's livelihood depends on being able to cross a border with transportation, with tourism and travel. It's a big, big economic issue for the world in terms of just this. And how do we at the same time prevent COVID from spreading between countries, which we just talked about before how a variant can start in England and suddenly, you know, three or four months later be the predominant strain in the United States? It's really an important issue. But your point, not everyone will be vaccinated. And so if we want to ensure really that someone entering, either crossing a border or entering a venue or going into a school, that they are at low risk of transmitting COVID, the other thing you could do is actually have a system that says either this person's been vaccinated or they've had a negative test. And we've seen that And even with some of the travel guidance, they still want people to get tested because they know that vaccinated individuals can still transmit the virus and carry it. So the thought might is that there might be a system in place where either you've had a vaccine or you've had a negative test within the last three days that you would have a mobile device that could produce a QR code that would show you had one of those two, but it wouldn't even necessarily show which one. Because I think the other big debate here is going to be, of course, on maintaining people's privacy. And we really, in the United States, as well as in Europe, put a very high premium on the maintenance of privacy of our healthcare information. And I think that will be another part of the debate as we kind of work through ways that we can Try and restore normalcy. I mean, this really is about getting back to normal and at the same time trying to keep people safe. And this is just another way that we're trying to do it.
0: I think it's encouraging. I I also appreciate the emphasis on privacy, as I'm sure many people do as well. And it gives people that additional option. Of course, as laboratorians, we're also seeing more and more rapid tests becoming available. And so, for those that don't have the QR code to show, there are now more and more options to get a test locally. I suppose there could be a time where, before you are allowed to enter a certain uh, you know stadium for a ball game or whatever, there may be a test that you take. I don't know for there yet but you know there's more and more of these options so yeah I guess at the end of the day we just need to remember it's all about keeping people safe and we do see outbreaks I just read about some over the weekend where you know we have a ski resort you get people there and one person's infected and it, you can have a super spreader event so it is a real concern that we need to continue our precautions to keep everyone safe
1: I think that's right and I, you know I've mm-hmm. heard it anecdotally too about particularly with the newer, more transmissible strains that, you know, they'll have one person, they do the contact tracing is very high rate of transmission. So we need to keep that front of mind. And and we're trying to strike the right balance. And I think the other part for those of us in the healthcare profession, it's also... Something we've needed to do all along, and that is the fidelity of information. So the question becomes, you know, how do you make sure that the vaccine that someone got is an effective one? Because there's parts of the globe where there's vaccines that are being used that are not as efficacious. How do you know which is the right, good test? What qualifies? It causes a lot of confusion for people, especially now that there's over-the-counter use of some of the engine tests has been approved, right? So there's going to be lots and lots of, of ways that we need to help contribute to The understanding of what these tests and vaccines can and can't do as we think about ways that we also produce information that helps people know that that they're safe.
0: Yes, so more things to talk about more things to come. It's good to see these new innovations coming down the pipeline.
1: It is. And I think and it's good to have the public dialogue about the best way to use them. COVID has been an accelerant of so many different things. And I think this whole concept of what kind of things, healthcare information should you be able to produce on your on your phone and, and, and have access to. This is something that was pre-COVID. There was the concept of the mobile healthcare wallet, if you will, that people could have access to privately. So they even have to carry that yellow slip of paper you go <laughs> yeah. yellow fever. So I mean there's all kinds of, of things, and it's, it's good that we have the debate. And it's important that we, we think about how to use these tools to really help balance reopening of society and getting back to normalcy while we still want to eradicate COVID as a scourge that's caused a lot of death and, and suffering, as you pointed out. At the opening. Right.
0: Well, great discussion as always, Bell. Thanks for the information. And uh, we'll just keep talking about this and keeping those debates open.
1: Yeah, I agree. It, there's no shortage of topics and they continue to be <laughs> interesting, at least to me. So I look forward to it.
0: Absolutely.